I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live on this Monday. We've got a great week lined up for you. I hope you'll join as much as you can or at least watch in the replay. If you are watching live, chat is open. We invite you to be a part of the conversation. And we're going we're gonna to talk about a little bit of a tough subject uh, today, but it's good. We need to uh, because, you know, hello, Loretta. Great to have you. Um, we've, we keep seeing this pattern. I've seen it all my life and, you know, in the position that my dad has been in, um, I've seen behind the curtain a lot. Uh, and here's, here's the raw truth. Pastors are people and people fail. Uh, and you know, we, we gotta know how to deal with this because it hasn't always been done correctly, uh, in a healthy way on both sides of it, whether it's, you know, cutting someone off and just, wrecking their lives or covering up we've seen that recently as well big names and it, it's just it's just not good so what do we do how do we create better pastors how do we support them in the role what do we need to know just being in the church uh or if you're in leadership what what are some things you need to hear well hopefully hopefully you will hear some of those today because i have a guest who is an associate pastor up at new life church in the beautiful most one of the most beautiful places on earth up in colorado springs uh and he has a book called the resilient pastor glenn packham is my guest and we're gonna we're gonna talk about some tough issues uh and hopefully we will get to a a healthier place um in the church because that's why i'm here glenn great to have you on life today live thank you randy privileged to be on with you today so you've been pastoring for quite a while now. Um, mm-hmm. So you've you've seen it and you've experienced it. Um, this is an issue. Uh, why why are you writing on this now? I'm curious. What's your kind of overarching goal with the book? Well, the book the book began as an idea that David Kinnaman, the president of Barna, approached me about about two years ago, and it was before the pandemic. And he said, "Hey, would you like to partner with us?" Um, to write a book about for pastors about kind of ministry in a changing world. And, you know, I had just, you know, a couple of years prior to that, I'd finished up my doctoral work at, in the UK. And I was familiar with sort of this method of let's take a deep dive of analysis into a situation and then let's pair it with some theological, biblical reflection. And I thought that that might be a good partnership. Well, I feel like I got tricked a little bit because a couple of weeks later, the pandemic broke out and I thought I am woefully un- unqualified for this task. <laughs> But I also felt like maybe the Lord was up to something here in this project, uh, potentially being a, for such a time as this kind of project. So I outline in the book eight challenges, four that face the pastor as an individual, which very much relate to some of the questions and themes you're raising here, and then four that relate to the church as a whole and the challenges facing church, the church in a changing culture. And I got to you know work deep with their research team and with designing questions that went out to pastors in late 2020. Hmm. But I also we also got to craft some questions to the general population about attitudes toward the church and attitudes toward pastors. And it's you know it's not good news, Randy. <laughs> but my but my goal in all of this you know is not just to have sort of this insight into the situation. And I did some focus groups with pastors in Canada, the U.S., the U.K but not just to have insight, but to pair it with wisdom, you know, to, to kind of raise the question that you're raising today to say, look, we can see the situation, but where do we find wisdom? Where do we find wisdom from church history, from the scriptures, 
because like you said, sadly, we've been here before and we've been here before in a lot of those eight challenges that I map out in the book. Yeah, I mean, and I, I didn't even touch on the issues just facing pastors who are in a healthy place and, and dealing with an unhealthy yeah. world, right? I mean, yeah. so yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a lot we can cover here, but let's let's start because I mean, even since yeah. you know you wrote the book, we've seen pastors dropping um, yeah. because of whatever kind of failure that it might be, a failure of leadership uh, ultimately. Um, yeah. Hit that one yeah. real quick before we get into some of the other issues that I do want to cover because. That's a that's a hard thing for people, I think, a lot of times. It, it, it's so hard as Christians when we watch leaders fail. And like you said, leaders are people too. But I think the lie that leaders tend to believe is that we don't have limits. We don't have limitations. Mm-hmm. That we can sort of endure and keep going and keep cranking and keep, you know, casting vision. But what we ought to recognize as leaders is because we are people, leaders have limitations too. And sometimes when something gets too large or when we stay in a position too long, we push the edges of our limits. And then that's when the cracks start to surface. And we experienced that in our own church. I've been at New Life Church for 22 years. and Six years in, we experienced the very public failure of the founding senior pastor here at New Life. And so we've experienced that. And when I think about resilience, I think about this story. There's a story that uh, the, the late former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, Lord Jonathan Sachs, former chief rabbi of the British Commonwealth, he told a story of going in for his physical, you know, and the doctor straps him on with these sensors or whatever and gets him on a treadmill. And he's thinking, aha, I know what you're doing. You're testing this, my fitness to see how fast I can run. So he's booking it on the treadmill. The doc's like, I'm not testing how fast you can run. And he's like, okay, you're testing how far I can run, you know? So he's like, no, I'm going to keep setting pace here and log some miles. Finally, he gets off the treadmill and he's like, Doc, what what were you measuring? He's like, no, I'm not testing to see how fast or how far. I'm actually testing to see how well you recover after experiencing stress. And that that's one of the marks of health is recovery and resilience. It's how how quickly does your heart rate, you know, in the biological sense, how, do, how quickly does your heart rate sort of recover, return to resting rate? And I think about leaders, we've all been through in the last couple of years, extraordinary stress, extraordinary duress, but lots of leaders experience some measure of that all through life. That's the job we sort of signed up for. So the issue, the, the question is not how do we eliminate the stress or how do we make sure that we never experience turbulence? We, we can't guarantee that. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will experience trouble. But the question is, how well do we recalibrate? How often do we return? Or to put it in biblical language, how often do we return to our first love? And Randy, I think for myself, for so many pastors and leaders out there, we're forgetting where it all began and it all begins with Jesus. Yeah, and that's interesting because one thing I've observed, and I'm curious just your response, um, you know, when we look out in the world, we see workaholics and we're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're serving the almighty dollar. We can can be like, I can diagnose that problem real fast. You know, your love of money is driving you away from your family. You know, too many hours a week, you're going to burn out and the stress is going to get you right Mm -hmm. in the church. There's this different dynamic because we're not serving money. We're serving God. And I Mm -hmm. think what I've seen some are some pastors have a little bit of a Messiah complex, almost like the salvation of my community or the world rests on me. And that can be hard to argue against because they're they're coming from a a biblical standpoint but yet you sense something's wrong and you don't know how to go maybe you just need to take some time off maybe you need to not carry the weight of the world on your shoulders because you're not going to be able to carry it anyway 
Have you seen some of this? In- oh, big time. And <laughs> okay. you're, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We do have this, there's a different dy- dynamic with pastors or Christian leaders because yeah, it's God's work. It's urgent. It's heaven or hell kind right. of stuff. So, but, but you know, the, the interesting thing, Randy, is you look at the life of Jesus himself, and I often joke that the Messiah didn't have a Messiah complex. You know, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's always walking, as one theologian put it, uh, Kosuke Kuyama, he says, uh, Jesus shows us that God is a four-mile-an-hour God. You know, Jesus is always walking. He's never running. He's never in a hurry. He often with, would withdraw to lonely places to pray. Uh, in, in fact, when crowds would seek him out, he would take a boat and try to cross to the other side to, to get away. So, I, I think we do the opposite. You know, we tend to think, oh, when crowds are coming, this is it. We've got momentum in our ministries. Mm-hmm. Now's the time to add the other service and plant the other campus. And look, I'm guilty of this sort of thinking too. Mm-hmm. And the challenge, the rebuke of Jesus's own life to us uh, is to say, now, hang on a minute. There are always others. It's going to take a team. We've got to have a, a long game in mind. And we've got to kind of have a bigger picture in mind that it's not all on our shoulders. There's there's actually a team. And, and I think, part, you know, part I, I say kind of almost like the Sunday school answer, pastor's got to return to our love for Jesus. But actually, in returning to Jesus, we learn all kinds of things. We learn to live uh, the way he lived, to keep company with him, as he said, to keep uh, almost in step with his rhythms of, of, of withdrawing and then leaning in and um, rhythms of secret prayer, of hidden life of prayer with the Father. I mean, Randy, I, I, it, it's it's a daily conviction to me uh, to recognize that if I'm not cultivating and stewarding my own deep life with God, the public life that I have uh, will be greatly diminished. And then what happens to all of us is we start relying on our tricks and yeah. muscle memory, and we're yeah. just going off of stuff that we know will quote unquote work. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you're exactly right. All right. Last, last question, and then I'll, I want to move on to some of the other topics in your book. What What's sort of your reaction when you see pastors stepping down in the last six months even? Uh, I mean, I think it's not any secret. Brian Houston just recently stepped down. You know, what, what, is, what is sort of your response? What would you like to see happen in a general sense uh, of these types of cases? I mean, I, I'm sad, Randy. I, I, I think like so many of us, we're just sad. We're sad that that those decisions were made. We're sad that, um, you know, I always think of the question, what sort of system made those kinds of choices yeah. possible? Yeah. Or what sort of community made that sort of character possible, you know? Um, so it, it, it's, and even for us, when we went through this stuff at New Life 15, 16 years ago, it, it very quickly was not a sort of a spotlight on someone else's sin, and it became a searchlight um, for my own heart. Mm. Uh, and to say, wait a minute, how am I living? How is my relationship with God? How is my connection and relationship with others? Are there genuine friendships? Or are there only people that are actually on my payroll, you know, or on our payroll uh, that are that are close to me? Are there any relationships that are not asymmetrical, meaning where there's no power differential? Is there any uh, relationships of true mutuality and reciprocity? So I think of this sort of searchlight approach. You know, we want to again spotlight on on, on someone else's failure. But I think what the Holy Spirit would invite us to do is let the searchlight fall on our own hearts and to say, well, where am I? And then not just us individually, but to go back to what I said about the system and the community. Uh, I don't know that it means we throw the baby out with the bathwater and everything's broken. No, but it is an occasion to reflect and to think, what are we doing that keeps sort of setting us up for this? How might we make adjustments to this sort of 
system and 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 what are we doing with the community around us uh, again relationships that should be in place that aren't in place yeah i think my immediate response would be let's ditch the whole rock star mentality when it comes to yeah. christian leaders yeah. right yeah. yeah um yeah and 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 your instinct is right there randy and i'm i'm with you i mean we do have to find ways to decenter the individual and just you know one quick story uh, for for us at New Life, it's why a few years after the scandal in the fall, our new senior pastor came in and and all this stuff. And I transitioned from like leading worship as my primary pastoral expression to teaching and leading a service. And in my young 30s, I thought, man, okay, I can feel, I see how this ego thing happens. Hmm. And so I, I was given permission to create kind of a laboratory space in this Sunday evening service. And we started doing you know, weekly communion, and we started incorporating some some historic elements in our worship, not because older is better or, or anything, or because I'm nostalgic or anything like that, but actually the Lord's table in particular is a way to decenter the individual, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I knew as a worship leader, it's like when the worship band's on the stage, it's like rah, rah, you know, and, yeah. and, and but we can kind of mess things up. And then the preacher's on stage, they take the, the time and they can mess things up. But man, if the high point of the service is let's come and receive the gifts of God given for us, the people of God. That's a moment where we're kind of standing out of the way, like John the Baptist, and saying, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Yeah, that that's good. That's good. And I think Brady Boy did a great job up there, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, we're talking to Glenn Packham. This is his book, "The Resilient Pastor," and it's not just for pastors. I mean, I think this is for anybody that's in the church because um, we need to be a healthier body. Right. You know, uh, and, and it is a group thing. Now, you mentioned uh, some Barna research and I have a good question from the audience about that. And I'm curious about some of the things you found. Um, you mentioned you surveyed people across the world, not just the U.S., U.K., Canada. Groups, yeah. 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 Um, are there similarities, big differences? What did you kind of find out that pastors are facing right now? Yeah. There were definitely a lot of similarities. I mean, some of the similarities were in how impossible the pastor's job sort of is. You know, there's these impossible expectations. And just to name them, you know, one one pastor said, I, I, I didn't realize when I was in seminary that so much of my role would be like being a party planner or an event organizer, <laughs> you know. Um, someone else in Ireland talked about how much administration and business functions there were to it. Um, but... But actually, you know, and, and one of the pastors in Canada said, and then there's sort of this social organizer, you know, not, not even necessarily activist, but uh, you're supposed to kind of be a community organizer in, in your city. So if you stack all these expectations, it's not as if these expectations on pastors replace one another. You know, they, they just sort of keep stacking over the decades. So early on, you know, maybe it's, oh, my pastor ought to have, you know, a, a, a holy consecrated life with God. Yes, true. Oh, they ought to be a theologian. Okay. Okay. They ought to be like an expert therapist and being able to help, you know, marriage and family issues. All right. Uh, they also actually need to have the leadership gifts of an entrepreneur. Oh, oh all right. And then, you know, I stack on that. Now they need to be a, a social commentator or activist. And you're thinking, this is not one person. So that was one of the common things all around the world. What's the solution for that, then? <laughs> no, well, I think there's there's several uh, parts of this. You know, I think often about something Eugene Peterson re- remarked in one of his books. He said, uh, we have to train our congregations about what a pastor actually is, you know, because they're going to import their own expectations into our congregation. So a business person is going to come into church thinking that the guy, the person on stage is is a business leader, is a CEO. So in, in one sense, there is a bit of a training our people. 
But the other part of the answer is it, it takes a team. Uh, it takes healthy teams. And that doesn't mean there's not one clear leader. Yeah. It just means it takes many gifts and many uh, leadership gifts even on the team. And I, 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 that's one of the encouraging signs I, I see, Randy, is I think churches are, are learning to have collaboration on deeper and deeper levels. Yeah, and, and another interesting thing that I've seen is a lot of your, your successful uh, Christian leaders, pastors, evangelists, are uh, sort of what we would call that A-type personality, <laughs> which doesn't always lend itself to uh, tolerating team because their expectations are high or they want to do everything themselves or they don't like being told no. Uh, you, is, you're, you're shaking your head. <laughs> You've seen this. <laughs> I've seen it. You're, you're absolutely right. And there is a certain sort of drivenness that – uh, is required when you're building particularly large organizations or, or whatever. But, but you know, again, I go back to what I said at the beginning here. We've got leaders have to recognize that even we have limits hmm. and limitations. And when we believe the lie that we have no limitations, I mean, one of the stories in the Old Testament, you know, think about King Saul, that whole uh, story where he's offering sacrifices and Samuel's like, well, what are you doing? And, and Saul's like, well, you know, people were getting impatient. So I had to and that's a story of Saul living without limits, thinking mm. that the king could also be a priest. And, and that's a moment where Samuel's like, that, that's not your lane. And there's so many times when leaders step outside of our lane, outside of the place of gifting or even of anointing, and, and we miss out on the plurality of gifts in the body because we're trying to, we believe the lie that we're supposed to be superhuman. So yeah, it, it does take a kind of humility. It does take a kind of uh, willingness to allow other people's gifts to shape uh, the culture and the vision. All right, I want to ask about some of the cultural, cultural issues, but first I'm, I'm curious. So we've kind of laid out some issues that pastors face. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm curious sort of the ordinary person who's a member of the church, I mean, maybe they, you know, they've shaken the hand of their pastor once or twice, but depending on the size of the church, he may or may not know you on site. Um, what does the average person do? What's their role in, in creating the resilient pastor? Yeah, it's a great question, Randy. And I, and I think no doubt church members, congregants feel this sort of burden to say, how can we support? And obviously the first thing to say is pray, you know, pray for your church, pray for your pastor, pray for wisdom. Um, I think there are good questions, healthy questions to be asked about how's the organization set up and uh, where does accountability work? Um, sometimes I've had well-meaning people want to serve as my sort of best friend or accountability. And, and it's helpful for them to know, actually, I have those relationships in my life yeah. and these are the, yeah. the people. So if there are ways of inquiring about that without it feeling like, um, like an interrogation, I think that's, I think that can be really helpful personally. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a, a Lord of the Rings kind of nerd. So I think about the relationships that a pastor or leader needs. I think of it through the sort of Lord of the Rings thing, you know, what, all, what, who are all the people Frodo had, you know, you got to have a Gandalf, you got to have a sage who can guide you. You got to have a king or an authority figure. Maybe that's the elder board or overseers or whatever, people who can tell you no. Uh, you you got to have some peers, some other pastors. Who are you in conversation with? I've got a monthly Zoom call with three other pastors from around the country. And we're just sharing everything with each other. We're talking about personal stuff. We're talking about our church struggles. You, you got to have close friends where there's true relationships of reciprocity and mutuality. That's like Sam for Frodo, you know. And then and then finally, you got to have a healer. And this is the relationship that actually I think is missing in a lot of leaders' life. The healer might be a counselor, might be a therapist, might be a spiritual director, might be all three. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I have experienced the blessing of the ministry, the work of, of, of those of people who serve in those roles, spiritual directors and counselors, and they've helped me kind of dive deep. So sometimes as a congregation, uh, it, it could be questions like, hey, do you have people in your life that are asking us or who are? And, and probably the pastor might feel defensive at, at that, but it might be great for them to think about um, the different kinds of relationships that we need in our lives. That's good. Now, that's really who, who, who knew that Lord of the Rings was even a commentary on, on pastorship? <laughs> Ask your pastor, who's your Gandalf? Just see what he says. Just see That's what right. he says. Right. Um, okay, so let's let's hit some of these issues. Wait, so you were writing this in 2020 during COVID, is that yeah. right? Or you, you were done with yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Fall of 2020, spring of 2021, we were putting the final touches on all of it. And and by the summer of 2021, it was mostly done, yeah. So you were writing this while you were watching cities burn around the United States? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, and it, and, 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 yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, go I mean, ahead. I'm just saying that 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 you you couldn't be unaware of what pastors no. were facing, no. in in that very you know that kind of social issue, which I hate yeah. that term because that almost uh, yeah. waters it down. This is I mean, this is a moral issue, right? Yes. Well, it's a church issue, and that is one of the challenges facing the church is the challenge of unity. And I go specific in that chapter about naming two particular threats to our unity, the the political sort of tribalism thing, but then also our our disagreement or inability to have conversations about uh, racial issues without using labels and making assumptions. And so that, yes, I was writing this very aware of of, uh, all of those uh, divisions within the American evangelical um, church. What, what what do you do with that? Because <laughs> so, no, and I ask that because yeah, there are a yeah. lot of there are people in the churches who don't want yeah. their pastor talking about it for one reason, not not because they harbor anything yeah. bad in their hearts. I mean, sure, sure, sure you can find those, but literally, I talk I have talked to pastors I won't name names who have said, you know what, I'm I'm not touching that because yeah. half my church is over here, yeah, yeah. the other half of my church is over here on that issue. Yes. And it could be yeah. one of several issues. And so they just, they're afraid yeah. to alienate a bunch yeah. of people. And that's a hard one. It, it, it is a hard one. And I, so that chapter on unity, but the other chapter that goes right with it is the chapter on mission. Like what is the mission of the church? Oh, so a, a lot of pastors heard this, you know, from their congregations, uh, hey, just preach the gospel. Well, in this chapter on mission, I, I try to unpack actually the biblical vision of God's mission in the world. The mission of God in the world is to put everything back together again. Structures, you know, economies, uh, um, uh, people groups, all of that stuff. And yes, we'll see that culminate one day when the kingdom comes in fullness. But how do we sort of work now to kind of echo that, to anticipate that, to point towards that, to sort of foreshadow that? Um, so one of the things I, I think is really important, Randy, is that we refuse the terminology and labels of the cultural dialogue. I, I don't that think it's so helpful. Good. I don't think it's helpful to use those, that terminology and that lexicon, if you will, because that only creates or reinforces these sort of tribes and divisions. I am uh, convinced that what we have to do is recover the biblical language for this stuff. So even when we're talking about mission of the church, I want to use kingdom of God language. I want to look at how Jesus is forgiving sins and having them get reinstated in the community by showing the, the themselves to the priest. And there's all kinds of layers of Jesus putting things back together again. So I want to use kingdom language for that, biblical language for that. But then even when we talk about issues of justice, biblical justice has some similarities. And this is where it's a little bit like, you know, circles that overlap. So sometimes, you know, you'll say a term 
And because those terms overlap with the biblical vision of that versus say the cultural dialogue about that issue, people will make assumptions. And there's no way of getting around this. People made assumptions about us even, you know, and they said, aha, you said reconciliation or you said, you know, injustice, you must mean, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're filling in the gaps from this other circle. And I keep saying, no, no, I'm working with this circle of, of about this conversation and it's what the scriptures say and it's what God is always trying to do. So I think we have to recover a, a, a theological language, biblical language for these issues. But then the other thing, Randy, I think that is, is, is a lost art in our society in general, but man, the church really has the opportunity to lead the way is the art of, of truly recovering that one anotherness and it, it, listening to a standing with there's um. There is a book uh, ri- written by Sandra Van Opstel. She she's uh, she writes about multicultural worship, and she used these three words that have really become very powerful for me as I've reflected on it. And she talked about hospitality, solidarity, and mutuality. And what she means by that is hospitality is that that moment where we say you are welcome here, and so we're welcoming to everybody. We're not we're not saying oh based on gender or ethnicity you know or culture we're saying no come on you're 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 welcome i think every pastor every christian wants that but that next step then is not just you are welcome here but solidarity which is i'll stand with you mm-hmm. and this is what the scriptures talk about when they say weep with those who weep and one of the things that was difficult in the summer of 2020 is when our african american brothers and sisters in christ were sharing their the triggers of their trauma or the experiences of their pain or how they were experiencing certain aspects right. of our country. Right. And other people were, able, were like, well, that's not my experience, therefore it's not true. Well, I, listen, I, I'm a first generation immigrant. I, I There's experiences that neither black <laughs> nor white can relate to with me. And there's experiences that I can't relate to with others. But solidarity is the art of saying, how can I stand with you? How can I weep with those who weep? This isn't my pain, but how can I learn your pain? And then the third move is mutuality, where there's truly this one anotherness, where weak and strong are, we go back and forth. Sometimes in some ways I'm the weak, in some ways I'm the strong, but we're helping one another. And man, that is my heart for the church. If we can recover that, that is a radical kind of unity that would witness to the world uh, a, a different way of being. Reminds me of something a wise man once said when he said, love your neighbor as <laughs> yourself. <laughs> I mean, exactly. it's so basic, isn't it? I mean, I, there yeah, it is. It is and and it seems to be so difficult. And, and of course, you got to start with loving God with all your heart because we can't do it on our own. We need some help, yeah. uh, divine yeah. help. But yep. yeah, and, and a lot of times I think we want to make these things much more complicated. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, let's let's just focus on that and and those things that you're la- laying out i think will start to come more naturally yeah. and willingly yeah. right yes anyway yeah, but well said well uh said. well yeah you, you wrote the book on it i'm just, I'm just riffing off well we're, and we're, we're both you're quoting jesus so you know <laughs> you're right yeah we, we both steal from the, the original source the better source that's yeah. the yeah. dirty secret of all christian books that's right. we're all ripping off the original okay so <laughs> sorry oh uh Glenn, this has been really, really good, really great conversation. I've enjoyed it. I hope others do too. Uh, hit share, by the way, or hit like if you're watching. Um, I want to give you the last word. Uh, is there anything out there that you know I didn't, I didn't mention, whether it's from the book or whether it's from what you're doing? I, I should show people your website. Here, let me do this real quick so before everybody clicks out. This is glennpackium.com. Uh, you can obviously get the book there, but you can get other things, uh, other resources, uh, and of course. There's the church website too at New Life 
Church.org. Yeah. But yeah. I'm going to give you the last word. How, how do you want to end this one? You know, when I, I think about these conversations, Randy, it's inevitable that someone will say, well, what, you know, what gives us hope? How can we, you know, be sure? And there's several things that give me hope. I mean, I think about the historic church. That's why I love church history so much is to think, hey, these are these might be dark days that we're living in, but actually there've been some really dark days. You go back to the medieval times or, you know, you know, archbishops are getting their heads cut off, you know. I mean, there's all kinds of difficult, difficult dark days in church history and Jesus has shepherded and guided and cared for his church throughout all of that. But I also get a lot of hope when I think about the global church. Uh, yeah, we've got some unique struggles here in the West, but man, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Malaysia. I think about the church in the global South. I think about the church in Africa and Asia, South America. And I think there's some really, actually the church in Ukraine, the church in Poland mm -hmm. right now, the way they're, they're caring for people. I, I think th these are the inspiring pictures uh, right now and reminders to us that that's what by the grace of God, we can be at our best. But above all, I, I think about the head of the church. I think about Christ himself. And, um, you know, if Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, then there is always hope. There's always hope. Even when things are at their darkest, uh, that's when God still works. And Paul's exhortation, 1 Corinthians 15, is, you know, if Jesus hasn't been raised, our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of the people watching or listening, you're thinking, yeah, if, uh, maybe my preaching doesn't amount to anything. Or as a Christian or congregant, you're like, well, maybe my faith in these, in, you know, is, is in vain because these, pre these leaders have fallen. Mm -hmm. But Paul says, no, 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 if Jesus is risen, then nothing is in vain. And in fact, he ends the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 by saying, be steadfast be immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, be resilient, you might say, by the grace of God. Why? Because your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Our faith in him, our labor with him, in him, will not be in vain. Great truth, great hope. Thank you, Glenn Packham. I, I really appreciate that. That is, that is really good. Thank you for sharing that with our audience today. Thank you so much, Randy. Great conversation. Appreciate you guys hanging out. Hit share, hit like, hit follow, hit subscribe or whatever, wherever you're watching and come back. We've got more great interviews for you right here on Life Today Live. We'll see you again next time. They want to live the way they want to live and have the Holy Spirit as a bit of uh, something extra. The Holy Spirit must be Lord.